to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people. Learn more about the program, podcast, Living Truth Christian Fellowship here in Corona, and how to donate when you visit walkintruth.com. Now, here's Pastor Michael's son, Shane Lance, and part two of his teaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, called The Eternal Prize. Some of you, just the idea of sharing your faith, going out and winning souls, you're like checked out at the beginning of this message. You're like, evangelism is not for me. I'm not a people person. That's not my thing. Uh, Paul can do that. Paul can woohoo, and he just can kiss people and win them in, and the, Paul can be the winner, and I'll, I'll be over here. But the call is actually on that back wall right there, and it says, go therefore and make disciples or you could say, go therefore and win souls of every nation. And that nation might be your coworkers. It might be the, the same girl that serves you the cup of coffee at the Starbucks drive-thru every morning. And you don't even know her name. Unless she's wearing a name tag, then that's just you not reading. All right, and so we have a mission field everywhere. But the question is, are we seeking to win souls? I will tell you that one of my favorite, get, turn to John chapter 4. Turn with me to John chapter 4. I don't want to spend a ton of time here, but this is also one of my favorite stories in the Bible, and it's the woman at the well. I can tell you that this, this story is one of the stories, this is the reason I'm a Christian, because I see the heart of Jesus so strong in this passage of Scripture and just to kind of go through it, uh, let's go to verse 4, John 4, verse 4. We'll just quickly read through this. It says, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact he was not uh, the one baptizing but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. Now there's different thoughts on this, but um, some would say that Jesus, just in his uh, all-knowingness, chose to go through Samaria, which what I would definitely agree with. Uh, so he goes through Samaria. Now that's the first thing. That's totally not the norm, okay? But then it says in verse 5, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, and near the plot of ground where Jacob had given his son Joseph. Um, and Jacob's well was there, and Jesus tried, uh, Jesus, tired as he was from his journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. Now, I can't teach this section of Scripture, or we'll be here for four hours, but um, essentially, this whole scenario is quite bizarre. Uh, first of all, we're going to see this woman show up. In 7, it says, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? So we can just put the brakes on right there. There's all sorts of weird things going on. First of all, you don't draw water at noon. It's one of the hottest part of the days, and the women would usually go early in the morning hours to get water from the well. But this woman is coming by herself, which is slightly odd, and she's coming at noon, which is also odd. And uh, if you studied this passage before, you know that it's been um, thought that, that she might have been somebody who's a prostitute or an outcast for some reason from her, her uh, surrounding area. So she would have to go draw water by herself. Uh, she didn't really have a group of friends to go with, etc. So Jesus goes through Samaria. So that's the first thing that we went back and looked at at the beginning of this section. That's weird. And then on top of that, now we have a Jew going through Samaria who's talking to a Samaritan woman and asking her for water. Now, again, if you've studied the scripture and if you haven't, just read through this section. It's amazing. 
But Jesus begins to just preach the gospel to her. He breaks all social norms to win her soul. He does not care that she is Samaritan. He does not care that she's an outcast. He does not care that she's a woman and that he shouldn't really be talking to her in their culture. He just says, I don't care. I want to win her soul. And he does whatever it takes to do that. And you know what happens at the end of this story? The woman says in verse 25, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I the one you are speaking to am he. And she hears the fullness of the gospel and comes to understand who the Messiah is because Jesus stepped out and did something that people didn't normally do. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you want to step out and do something that you know people don't normally do, but the idea of it just being weird overwhelms you? And you're like, nah, I can't do that. That would be so weird. That'd be so awkward. Just do it. Because God wants to use you. Now, obviously, be smart, okay? I don't have to tell you that. Use discernment. But if there's an opportunity presented to share the gospel, I promise you, I promise you that if you move forward and you trust that God will work, even if the, the, the conversion isn't right on the spot. Because most of the time, in my experience, when I've shared the gospel, people aren't like falling on their knees, weeping and, and giving their life to Christ. It's usually a good conversation. I'm building a relationship with that person. I'm letting them know that they're loved, that God loves them. And even if I'm never going to see them again, I can trust that God is sovereign and that a seed has been planted. There have been stories told of men who have dedicated their whole lives to sharing the gospel of Jesus and they never see any fruit from it. And then after they pass, thousands of people come forward and say, yeah, that guy's the reason I'm a Christian. Sometimes you don't reap this immediate satisfaction. Sometimes it's just trusting that God has worked, not beating a dead horse, and then leaving. And trusting that he'll work. And if you can build a relationship with that person, I would argue that's the best way to reach people is to first show them that you care about them. So we're back in 1 Corinthians 9. and turn back. And I just love that story. Have you ever thought about this? The command for us as Christians is not that we would pray that people who are non-believers would come through the doors of the church. And so some of you are like, what? Yeah. The command is that we would go out of the doors of the church and go into the world and meet them where they're at and bring them the truth of the gospel. The reality is that somebody who is living in total uh, uh, disobedience of the Lord's commands and has no idea of what even a Christian worldview looks like, storming the doors of the church, it happens, but it's not going to happen all the time. So somebody's got to take the good news to the world and meet them where they're at. And that's what Paul is doing in this section. He's writing to Corinth and he's going to relate to them in ways that they can understand through the athletic metaphor that we're about to read. He's going in and he's saying, hey, let me talk to you guys on your level right now. That's what he means by becoming all things all men. He doesn't mean he's compromising. And that's why there's all these little confusing language in uh, these, this first section of 1 Corinthians because he's saying, look, I'm going to be with those who are under the law, though I am not under the law. I'm under the law of Christ, but I'm going to be there. I'm going to be compassionate towards them. I'm going to try to relate to them. I want to build a relationship with them 
them and share the hope of Jesus with them. That's what Paul's doing. And so now as we uh, turn to verse 24, and one last example of Jesus doing something amazing is the story of Zacchaeus. Do you know what happens? Well, Jesus, Jesus calls Zacchaeus down from the tree. People didn't know he was there, but then, you know, that's embarrassing, right? You're like a little man already, then you're hiding in a tree, and then, you know, Jesus calls you out, and you're like, this is the worst. But then Jesus goes, and the Pharisees, the entire time Jesus is sharing the gospel with Zacchaeus, ministering them, building a relationship with them, showing him that he's loved, that he's not rejected by God. Do you know what the religious leaders are doing? They're standing outside Zacchaeus' house grumbling about what Jesus is doing. Well, why is he in there? I don't know why he's in there. Doesn't he know who Zacchaeus is? Jesus is living out the gospel. He's ministering to somebody that has largely been outcast, is hated by his culture, hated by the people, and he goes into Zacchaeus' house and he wins him for the kingdom because he did something out of the ordinary. He did something, and it wasn't anything crazy. He asked the guy to have dinner. He looks at Zacchaeus and he says, hey, we're going to your house, we're going to have dinner. Zacchaeus is like, what? You want to go to my house and have dinner? And Jesus is like, yeah, come on. You know, that's kind of the way I see it. That's my translation. That's the Shane, Shane translation. Um, I just kind of see Jesus like, yeah, let's go. And it doesn't take long before his whole life changes through one act of love from the Messiah. Verse 23, Paul says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. His heart is that people would come in and know the blessings of Jesus Christ. Verse 24, 1 Corinthians 9, 24. It's one of my favorite verses. It says, do you not know? So Paul switches gears here. Now he's moving to kind of a different example and illustration for the readers. He says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run in such a way that you may obtain it, you may obtain that prize. Verse 25, every athlete exercises self-control in all things and they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Now, Corinth, the Olympic Games are huge at this time in the culture, the Roman Greek culture. Uh, this is just like the, the, the Olympic Games are a big deal. And then the Isthmian Games are happening in Corinth. They're the hosts of the Isthmian Games. And so uh, they would very much understand this language. It's been said by some commentators that Corinth wanted two things. They wanted bread and the games. That sounds a lot like our culture in America. Food and sporting events. In fact, some of you are probably trying to get out of here on time because of that very thing. Oh, I know. <laughs> There's a game on today. You want to see it and you can't wait to eat, man. I love food. I'm a foodie. I get it. But God deserves your time right now. And the cheeseburger can wait. In and out will be there. They're open until 2 a.m. tonight. 1.30. You got time. So Corinth loved the games, the athletics, the competition. And if you look at history, we know that the Roman government used the things like the Colosseum to actually distract its people from how bad the government was crumbling. But athletics were a huge part of the culture. And the Isthmian Games were only second, second only to the Olympic Games. And they were a great national festival. And the word race here, Paul would have kind of been referring to a very common competition in the Isthmian Games, which was a 600-foot running like a sprint race so like a you could equivalate that to like a dash you know in our olympic games so it's a quick sprint but 
Our life, as many of you have probably heard in church before, could be better compared to a marathon. Do you feel equipped to share the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do you find it difficult to defend your Christian faith? The Ministry of Walk in Truth and Pastor Michael Lance would like to give you a copy of his book, Suit Up, Putting on the Full Armor of God. You know, the Christian life is a battle. It's not easy to stay on the straight and narrow, to walk the way we're supposed to in the midst of all kinds of temptations of our flesh, the world, the enemy. And so God has given us a provision. Here's the amazing thing. God has given us armor. And it is because he loves us and wants to protect us. Armor is for protection. We will send you a copy of Suit Up as a thank you when you send a financial gift of $5 or more to Walk in Truth. Walk in Truth is a listener-supported ministry, and we appreciate your help to broadcast and grow the ministry to more radio stations. Please give online at walkintruth.com or call 844-48-TRUTH. That's walkintruth.com. Click the Donate button or call 844-48-TRUTH. Make sure you subscribe to the Walk in Truth podcast, available on your favorite podcast app. Now, back to Walk in Truth. And so now as we uh, turn to verse 24, and one last example of Jesus doing something amazing is the story of Zacchaeus. Do you know what happens? Well, Jesus, Jesus calls Zacchaeus down from the tree, People didn't know he was there, but then, you know, that's embarrassing, right? You're like a little man already, then you're hiding in a tree, and then, you know, Jesus calls you out, and you're like, this is the worst. But then Jesus goes, and the Pharisees, the entire time Jesus is sharing the gospel with Zacchaeus, ministering to him, building a relationship with him, showing him that he's loved, that he's not rejected by God. Do you know what the religious leaders are doing? They're standing outside Zacchaeus' house grumbling about what Jesus is doing. Well, why is he in there? I don't know why he's in there. Doesn't he know who Zacchaeus is? Jesus is living out the gospel. He's ministering to somebody that has largely been outcast, is hated by his culture, hated by the people, and he goes into Zacchaeus' house and he wins him for the kingdom because he did something out of the ordinary. He did something, and it wasn't anything crazy. He asked the guy to have dinner. He looks at Zacchaeus and he says, hey, we're going to your house, we're going to have dinner. Zacchaeus is like, what? You want to go to my house and have dinner? And Jesus is like, yeah, come on. You know, that's kind of the way I see it. That's my translation. That's the Shane, Shane translation. Um, I just kind of see Jesus like, yeah, let's go. And it doesn't take long before his whole life changes through one act of love from the Messiah. Verse 23, Paul says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. His heart is that people would come in and know the blessings of Jesus Christ. Verse 24, 1 Corinthians 9, 24. It's one of my favorite verses. It says, do you not know? So Paul switches gears here. Now he's moving to kind of a different example and illustration for the readers. He says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run in such a way that you may obtain it, you may obtain that prize. Verse 25, every athlete exercises self-control in all things, and they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Now, Corinth, the Olympic Games are huge at this time in the culture, the Roman Greek culture. Uh, This is just like the, the, the Olympic Games are a big deal. And then the Isthmian Games are happening in Corinth. They're the hosts of the Isthmian Games. And so 
uh, they would very much understand this language. It's been said by some commentators that Corinth wanted two things. They wanted bread and the games. That sounds a lot like our culture in America. Food and sporting events. In fact, some of you are probably trying to get out of here on time because of that very thing. Oh, I know. <laughs> There's a game on today. You want to see it and you can't wait to eat, man. I love food. I'm a foodie. I get it. But God deserves your time right now. And the cheeseburger can wait. In and out will be there. They're open until 2 a.m. tonight. 1.30. You got time. So Corinth loved the games, the athletics, the competition. And if you look at history, we know that the Roman government used the things like the Colosseum to actually distract its people from how bad the government was crumbling. But athletics were a huge part of the culture. And the Isthmian Games were only second, second only to the Olympic Games. And they were a great national festival. And the word race here, Paul would have kind of been referring to a very common competition in the Isthmian Games, which was a 600-foot running, like a sprint race. So like a, you could equivalent that to like a dash, you know, in our Olympic Games. So it's a quick sprint. But our life, as many of you have probably heard in church before, could be better compared to a marathon. It's a, it's a pace, right? It's a steady, slow pace. Not slow, maybe moderate. And so this example that Paul gives is very uh, much applicable to the culture. And uh, Paul would have been in Corinth during the games in AD 51. And people who are uh, in these games, it's not just like, you know, you're pounding an in-and-out double-double, have never trained a lick, and you show up at the gates and you're like, shine me up. I'm going to do the 600-yard dash. No, the people who are in these competitions have been training for anywhere from 10 to 12 months, right? Even like, and I love how like easy this is to understand because I look at our Olympic Games now, it's the same thing. These Olympian, these Olympic athletes, they don't show up like, I started snowboarding last week, I'm gonna jump in there. No, dude, they've been snowboarding for like 30 years. They've been training, excruciating training and, and it's just like this intensive thing for the past year or so. They've been training hard. And I would submit to you that the same thing has to be true of our life as Christians. We can't just show up and expect that, you, you know, if you leave today and you know nothing about your faith and you try to share the gospel with somebody, well, hello, train up in the ways of Christ. Train yourself. And luckily, if you hate running, look, I was that kid in junior high. You guys know the mile club? It was like this thing. Bradley knows. You know, we went to junior high together. And you had to be like this, you know, you had to be like, it was always the soccer players, you know? And I was like kind of chubby in junior high. And, oh, man, I wanted that shirt so bad. It said mile club on it. And then you had a blank spot on the back, and you'd write with a Sharpie your time. And so for the guys, you had to be under 6 minutes, 30 seconds. So I trained for the mile club in eighth grade. And I was like, I'm going to get that shirt and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be able to show everybody that I can run a mile in under six minutes, 30 seconds. Now I look back at it and I'm like, I don't care what my mile time is, man. But at the time, that was my goal, right? So I trained and I tried so hard. And man, I look back and the PE coach felt so bad for me. And I come in, I cross that line. I'm like, <laughs> you know, and he's like, all right, kid, uh, you got to shave two minutes off and you'll make it. Look, two minutes? Are you kidding me? I never made the mile club. 
But then uh, I played football my freshman year of high school, and I lost, well, I, I, I didn't lose any weight. I just got like six inches taller. And all of a sudden, running was like, wow, this is, this is pretty nice, you know? And then I got married, and now running is, again, terrible. <laughs> I do the stair steppers. I can lean on that bar and just... <laughs> all the bodybuilders do that, so I figure I'm, I'm on the right track if I can do that. But it's something that we train for. It's not something that's going to happen overnight. And some of you are discouraged this morning. And just the idea, like I said, of sharing your faith is overwhelming because you feel like if they're going to ask a question and I'm not going to know. First of all, it's okay to not have all the answers. Every time I talk to Jehovah's Witnesses or the Mormons that come to our door, we're both okay with like, you know what, I don't know. Why don't you come back? They never come back. Because usually my dad jumps in and then... It's all over from there, man. They're like, well, actually, we have an appointment. Um. But these games would consist of, of boxing, bare-knuckle boxing. Have you guys ever seen bare-knuckle boxing? Oh, gosh. Brutal, man. I hate movies where somebody punches somebody in the face, and, and then the cop's like, yeah. I'm like, dude, would you punch somebody in the face? Not that I've ever done that. I've been in a few fights, but it, they were justified. But uh, it is not like that, okay? You punch somebody in the face, your hand is jacked up, man. It is not like you're just like, all right, cool, guys. You can't even move your fingers. You're like, oh, you know? And so I just hate that. That's nothing to do with what we're talking about this morning. But uh, so there was boxing, there was wrestling, and then there was these brutal combat sports, chariot racing. That's insane. And so this was not like something that you just showed up to not having prepared and been ready. And Paul says, you know, they do it, the winners of this game, they do it for an imperishable crown, but we do it, uh, so they do it for a perishable crown or wreath, but we do it for an imperishable, an eternal prize. And what Paul's referring to there is the crown that would often be given in these games was a crown of pine. Uh, I don't know about you, but that does not sound worth it to me. Um, even the, the greatest bragging rights, I'm like, hmm, I'd rather not get punched in the face personally uh, and have to like do these brutal sports for a pine wreath, a pine wreath. So eventually the prize was moved in uh, throughout history. They, they bumped it up to 100 days worth of wages. That's a little more uh, reasonable, I guess, but still, I'd rather just go to work every day and, you know, that's just me though. No one else agrees, I guess. Uh, I'm just kidding. And so there's this idea that there's a training that happens. And look at verse 26. It says, So I do not aimlessly, I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So Paul is saying, look, I don't, I don't do it aimlessly as I train in the ways of Christ. There's a purpose. Now, this is why I have the, the bag up here this morning. You're listening to Walk in Truth. This was part two of Shane Lance's teaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 called The Eternal Prize. Hey, just a reminder that this is a listener-supported ministry. Please give what you can when you visit walkintruth.com. If you can give at least $30 monthly, you'll partner with us to get this program on more stations, some secular, this year. You'll also make it so we can do more free apologetic events to equip the community. 
Learn how to donate on walkintruth.com or call 844-48-TRUTH during normal business hours. That's 844-48-TRUTH. Now, here's Pastor Michael. Well, maybe you've been hearing all this stuff about the prize and running the race, and you're like, man, I prefer a bag of chips in my lazy boy. (laughs) I just want to watch the race. I don't want to run in the race. That's work. Well, I feel you. And there's certainly days when I feel just like that bag of potato chips and just kicking back and watching the game. I don't want to necessarily play in the game, but then you know what? I realized, no, 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 no. What God wants for me is to be in the game, to be engaged, to use my gifts. And so sometimes you have to pray that the Lord changes your heart, to be frank. Sometimes we have to pray, Lord, help me to care. Help me to have my priorities straight. Help me to think about things that are eternal. Help me to get up out of this chair and get back in the race. And you know, when we do that, uh, it's kind of like working out. Uh, Most of the time, I don't feel like working out. But when I start and then when I'm finished, I feel so good. And sometimes we go dragging our heels to share our faith with somebody. It's scary. You know, we don't know how to get a conversation going. And then we come back clicking our heels because God's used us to share the hope of the gospel. And that person is so grateful. Think about how grateful that you are that someone took the risk to share the good news with you. It's compassion that drives us. It's love that drives us to share the gospel. Help me, Lord, to get in the game and get off the sidelines. Tune in tomorrow for part three of Pastor Michael's son Shane's teaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 called The Eternal Prize. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people.